Well, again, good morning to you. Uh, if you came in a little late, I'm Joel, uh, one of the pastors here, and it's fun to jump in to 1 John chapter 5 today. So I want to just call it out for you very quickly. 1 John chapter 5. Hope you're ready to open up the Word of God. I'm going to get there here in just a second. We're going to do verses 1 through 5 this morning. We're going to finish up 1 John 5 uh, next week, and then uh, I'll jump into the series of Speak. And the first thing we're doing is covering a week on just worldview. Once again, similar to something I did over a year ago with the Because It Matters series. And then we hit race and politics and anxiety and all those different things. Better than 20 years ago, um, in fact, if you're not at least 20 years old, if you're younger than 20, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Ugh. Okay. God loves you, so do I. Um, the, uh, better than 20 years ago, uh, I was with this beautiful young lady who is now my wife, and I decided that I was going to propose to her. Right? Some of you may remember part of this story because I was like, you know what, I want to do this right. I was going to do the hot air balloon thing. Um, I tried twice, and both times it got canceled. It was too windy. You know, like where you drop the ring, like you act like you do. You drop the box over, and they look down onto the big field that says, will you marry me? Well, that'd be cool. Didn't do that. Um, so wanted to, but then I was like, okay, well, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take her to the church in which I was serving then in Kentucky, and huge auditorium, set a couple thousand people, and just it was this, the stage with the stairs. Okay, I'm going to go take a knee in front, and I knew I would be nervous, and so I didn't want to forget to say all the stuff that I think matters and just go, just marry me. Um, I wanted to make sure that I really beforehand spent time telling my current wife why I loved her so much. And so what I did is I wrote out a long letter that I then gave to her about all the reasons I loved her. I was like, this is, like, I am, like, points, hello, right? Isn't that good? Man, you can take my idea from me, all right? Um, so this is how it began. We show up at the church, and because I was so nervous, we open up the door, and I run over to the alarm, and I forgot the coach of the alarm because I'm so nervous. So the, very, the way it begins was this. The cops came. <laughs> True story. I'm like, oh, man, this is not going well. I think she's figuring it out. And so then we finally go down uh, to the altar. I had to convince the cops, like, how do we know that you really work here if you don't remember the code? I'm like, I remember the code now. It's blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, look up. You can see my picture. Like, it's all good. I promise. And they're like, okay, fine. So they let, they let us stay in the place of my employment, which is fantastic. We go down to the altar, and then I, I pull out the letter. I'm like, I just want to share something with you. And I took a knee in that moment. And so then, of course, she knew what was taking place, and I began to read to her um, all the different reasons I love her. And I know that letter means a lot to her because when I asked her for it today, she doesn't know where it is. So I know it means a lot. <laughs> Literally, like last night, she's looking, at, but it meant so much to me. I'm oh, yeah, I can tell. Um, <laughs> just, oh, I got your heartstrings. Um, so I'm sharing all these reasons that I love her, and then finally I'm like, so um, I'd like to ask you, will you allow me to serve you for the rest of my life? I promise um, to love you as Christ has loved the church. Will you marry me? And, I mean, she just backflips and all, yes, I can't believe it. Um, at least that's how I imagine it. Um, she might have said, I guess so. But it, was, it, it got us to where we are. And so... Afterwards, I had already planned for us to go back to her parents' house who lived in Louisville to share with them the good news. We go back to their house, and what's amazing to me is she's like, hey, guess what? We're getting married. The cops came. 
That's the first thing she shares. She doesn't share that I'm on one knee, bent down, reading this long romantic letter that she's lost. Um, and she doesn't share. She says, the cops came. Why did I ask her to marry me? Right? I, I, but that's what happens. Like sometimes all we know is, will you marry me? And we get so excited because it's like, will you marry me? And we forget all the reasons we love each other. The reason I'm sharing this story is because this is what I think has happened in the church today. Is that we go, you know what? God loves you so much, right? Amen? God gave his son to die for you so that you can have freedom and eternal life in him. Amen? And then we kind of like, okay, that's cool. And we forget all the nuances, all the beauty, all the particulars that go with that that strengthen it, and so in time, when you never go back to those details, when you never go back to, this is why he loves me, this is why he's asked me to marry her, or marry him, this is why, then you, in time, the big idea, the big premise, actually loses some of its significance, some of its power, some of its strength. You're following me, right? Yeah? I'll tell the story again. You following me? Yeah, see, now you don't want me to. So, right, that's, we got to know this. We, we start to lose. So, uh, listen, wh- that's what happens with, with our relationship with God. It's like, oh, God loves me. God give me a son. No, it's more than that. Like, like God created the heavens and the earth. And when he created earth, right, he allowed us to step into a beautiful place. But because of sin, the fall, we broke a commandment with God. We broke his, we, we, we chose not to obey him. And so now we're born into a certain place of the fall of, of sin. But even throughout this fall, even throughout the sin that we have in life, for thousands and thousands of years, when the people of God have abandoned him, he's still given opportunity for the people of God to walk back to him, to meet them and to, to, to love them and to care for them, to forgive them. In fact, then he did it for every single person on the face of the planet through his son Jesus Christ and said listen you're going to keep messing up but I'm going to I'm going to conquer that for you that sin and that wretchedness I'm going to do it for you through my son Jesus Christ and not only am I going to give you my son I'm going to leave with you Holy Spirit so that I can constantly what John would say abide with you dwell with you right we we forget some of the beauty of what is actually happening when we just say oh God loves you don't worry about it there's more to it than that you want to read the whole letter Right, it's kind of like if my wife, if she, she would have taken that letter and just said, skipped to the bottom that says, will you marry me? There's more to it than will you marry me, I love you. Because I told her a dozen reasons why I adore her. And that's what, that's what John is doing. I don't want us to forget all that John is doing, all the reasons John is writing this letter. He, he says it very pointedly, okay? So I want to walk through parts of 1 John just very, very quick to show you the different places. He says, I'm writing this to you for this reason. Like he says, I'm writing this because, I'm writing this for, I'm writing these things so, right? Over and over. First thing he does is 1 John 1, 4. We're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So already it's more, I'm writing these things to you just so you know the love of God. No, it's so your joy may be complete so that you may know what it is to have the joy of the Lord welling up in you. You keep stepping on what he's writing to the people who have abandoned their faith, abandoned church, right? And he's going, this is the reason. 
I'm writing this is so that your joy may be complete. It's not complete because you're not resting and trusting in him. He said, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, my little children, I'm writing these things. There it is again. I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. Don't sin. Stop. I'm writing these things, right? So that you know that even if you do, if one of you does sin, you used to have an advocate with the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. Wow, maybe that's where some of that joy can come from. I, even when I do make mistakes, even when I do sin, I have an advocate with the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. He wants to give power to overcome sin. He wants to strengthen you. I'm writing these things so that you know that you can be strengthened to not continually live in the life that you've been living, but that you can live in the life that He's desired for you to live. He says it again, 1 John 2, 12 through 13. He says, I'm writing to you. Little children, why? Because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. You can stand and battle and, and, and make sure you know that God's power is with you. These are the reasons, right? He's writing all this. It's more than, hey, guess what? I'm writing to you to make sure you know that um, God loves you. He's giving you so much more than that. 1 John chapter 2, verse 21, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, because no, because no lie is of the truth. He's saying, listen, I'm writing to you because you, you know what the truth is. Why are, you, why are you walking away from it? Why are you giving in to the sin in your life and saying, well, this is what I think should be? Why are you trying to take God's perfect word and cater it to what your sinful desires are rather than allowing God to jump into your life and allowing your sinful desires to be, to be cast to the side so that you can now live and think according to his will? You see the difference. 1 John 2.26, I write the, he just keeps going, right? These are all the details of the letter. Don't throw it away. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. There are false teachers. There are evil ones out there. There are people who are not, right? We know that if you give ear, if you, if you listen to someone else, one of the primary requirements of you listening to anybody else is that they confess Jesus Christ as Lord. He's already addressed that more than once in this book. So you go, okay. 1 John 5, 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name, of, the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is a primary, right? That everybody who believes, places their faith in Jesus Christ can have eternal life. It's a primary, but the primary carries so much beauty because you remember all these other things as well. And one of my concerns in the church today is that what we're doing is we're just sending out a bunch of people to walk away with just the idea that God loves me no matter what. I'm good to go. There's more to it. I'm not saying that's not true. That is truth. But there's so much more significance and power in that truth when you don't forget all these other things of, hey, guys, listen, I'm writing this so that you stop listening to false teachers. I'm writing this so that you stop sinning. I'm writing this because I have so much more so that your joy may be made complete. I'm writing this so that you will remember the truth that is implanted in you. I'm writing this so that you might have eternal life. There's power and the fullness of the gospel. So we don't want people to live by a little sliver 
All right, just a little piece of it. We've, we need to know today that we need to stop treating the Word of God as small little nuggets that can help us get through a rough Tuesday. It is so much more than that. The gospel is a truth to be had so that we may live in a freedom that you cannot know any other way. Maybe, maybe you can see how we've done that in the church today. We just say a little nugget here and there, and yet what we're really trying to do is take the gospel, take the word, and make it cater to what we already believe. Why would you want to do such a horrendous thing? I know I'm a sinner, and so I'm going to take, allow my sin, my selfishness, to take the beauty and the perfect word of God and try to alter that so that I don't have to change the way I think. And so my prayer today is that every one of us would start to see more of the fullness of Scripture, the, more of the fullness of the Word of God. That's my prayer for the country. Because even those who claim faith, I just go, man, we're, we're claiming such just small little nuggets of it. We're not claiming the gospel, the Word. We're not claiming Christianity for the fullness of it. And so I want before I even jump in to those first five verses today, I want to just pray. I, I want to pray that each one of us that are here in this place, maybe you're in the chapel, uh, maybe you're in the gym or another, just watching it from a living room in your cottage, whatever else it may be, that we would allow, and I'm looking at them right now on the camera, that we would allow a greater understanding of the fullness of God to impact our lives. And so let's just jump into that prayer right now, even as we pray for our nation. God, I come before you, and I'm, I'm asking God that we would see more of your fullness. That we would have a greater picture of the entirety of who you are and what you desire. Because so often we've already got an idea of who you are, and we don't allow ourselves to move beyond that. And so grow our hearts, expand our minds, our thinking. God, give us a spiritual awareness, spiritual eyes to see you more clearly, to, to know more than what we've known before so that we may be more intimate with you. Abide, as John says all the time, abide with you more. And I'm praying for God. I'm praying that for our nation. I'm praying that for everyone. I'm praying that for our, our governor, for Governor Whitmer. And I'm praying that, that she would just experience you in such a palpable way. I'm praying for our president, for President Trump, that he would do the same, that every political leader, every one of us, God, every pastor, every leader out there, every political uh, individual, everyone who's leading our schools and teach all of us, God, that leading businesses, that we would all just go, man, I'm seeing more of the fullness of God, and, and that we'd be challenged to make decisions that reflect your fullness, that we would encounter you more profoundly today than we ever have before. And I truly don't believe that's too much to ask, God. that we would see more of who you are today. In Christ's name, amen. So I want to jump in and just go ahead and read uh, 1 John chapter 5, 1 through 5. 
So let's stand for the reading of the Word of God, please, if you're able. And you're going to notice as I read through these verses, notice verse 1 and verse 5 because they're really they're bookending, saying something very, very similar. So just telling you that now so that you can see it as I dive into this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has over, overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It's so similar to the very first verse that says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. And so now we're going to discover more of the fullness of God and what that means for us in this passage. You may be seated. Everyone who has been born of God. Um, we do recognize, and these are words I use often because I think we, we forget it. I, I think we, we kind of skip over parts of God's creation and what has happened within the world. But we were, we were all born into a world that is estranged from God. Sin separates us from God. Right? You have creation and then you have the fall. And in Genesis chapter 3, everything shifted. And you had the fall of humanity, people giving in to sin. And we recognize that, that we inherit the fallen nature that separates us from God. But in His grace, in His grace, we are made spiritually alive in Christ. We're made spiritually alive in Christ. By faith. And by faith, we are united with Him. <coughs> Born of Him. Made new in his image. And so he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So if you've been born of God, you recognize where you come from, but you recognize who you, who you now are. So as a result of that, you're going to love others born of him as well. You're going to love your brothers and sisters. And also, you're going to even then it tells us to keep his commandments. Verse 2. We know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Um, John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. So he just jumps into it. And here's what you're going to see very, very quickly in this passage, is that our love for God, our love for God is expressed in a joyful eagerness to obey his commandments. Now, this is, this is interesting because um, because of our sin and because of our selfishness, I was, thank you, they're so good to me. Um, they knew it was coming. Our love for God is expressed in a joyful eagerness to obey his commandments. So what's happened today is so many of us, we go, well, we have to obey someone. Right? If someone says, well, you need to obey your parents. Some of us, when we're teenagers, automatically, when, when we hear obey your parents, part of us dies inside. 
Anybody? Don't raise your hand, teenagers. Just trying to help you out. Right? Or, hey, you need to obey the government. Right? And you go, oh, hey. Or you need to obey your boss. Like, they've asked you to do something. You need to do what they say. And we, we, we have this strife. We have this tension. Well, obeying God, though, we're going to see. Often we think that obeying God is a burden. Obeying God is not a burden. Obeying God is something that is a joyful expression of our acknowledgement that we have now been born of him and we are no longer living of self. And so when we still live according to this thought that obeying God is a burden, that's what we know. That's the sinful nature stuff that's jumping out. That's what's taking place there. The commandments of God are not a burden for those who trust God, that he's actually got a greater desire than we can comprehend. Think about the arrogance to say, you know what? I know that we're born into a fallen world. I know that we are sinners in need of grace, but I would rather God cater to my desires than to allow my life, which has been giving a new heart, to live according to his will. You see what you just... You see what we do, right? It's, it's remarkable to think about. The commandments of God are not a burden for those who trust God. When born again, we're given new hearts. This is Jeremiah, by the way, right? We already know that Jeremiah 31, 33 talks about it. We're given new hearts. A heart for God is a heart that desires to please God. There's a joy in that. It's not, oh man, I can't, Right? can't believe he's asking me to do this so what we see is that uh, it's in this passage we know that we love the children of God when we love God obey his commandments for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments his commandments are not burdensome it's not a well you have to it's a wow you get to I can't help but I think maybe we don't parent that way. I, I think about my own kids and the conversations I've had with them and trying to raise them a, a specific way, right? Hopefully according to the word of God. And, and often the conversation is, hey, listen, I saw what you did here, but do you not know what it's doing to lessen you? Like God's got greater for you. It's not, well, God says you better do this, and if you don't, You see, right? If, if you've been born of God, you recognize the brokenness, but now there's a joyful, being obedient to him is a joyful expression of, wow, look at what God has done. I know I'm not worthy of it, but woo, this is good. And others may not even like it, but I'm being obedient to the creator, to the author, perfecter of faith. This is good. And it's, this is something that's amazing. Obeying God is not something that is a burden. Obeying God is something that has benefits. There's an old proverb out there that I've heard before that says, love fills no load. Love fills no load. Um, when it's true, authentic love, you don't carry the weight of having to serve. You know the joy of being able to serve. And 
that's, that should be our attitude not only with one another, but it's our attitude with God. Right, as, I, as, as I continually am maturing in Christ, that transformation, sanctification that we speak about every week, I'm reckoning, I, I, I pray less and less for, hey, God, can you help me with this or this? I just say, God, give me your wisdom and discernment. Do whatever you want. Because if I get to do anything God asks of me, I'm still unworthy of being able to do it for such a wonderful God. So it's not something that we have a burden over, that obedience, but it's something that actually has benefits. So that's what I want to do for us. I want, I want us to walk through some of this scripture, and I want to talk about the benefits of being born of God, not the burden of it, because what we see here says it's not a burden. And instead of burden, we actually discover benefits of being obedient to God, of knowing, being born of God, knowing his love for us and what that means. So now we get to go, wait, hey, hey, hang on, there's benefits to this. There's benefits to everything that we do, hopefully, right? Otherwise, I'm, I'm going to argue it's probably not of God. There's some type of benefit there. There's also some things that we do that we know are detriment that we shouldn't be doing. So let's talk about some of these benefits. When we look at this passage, 1 John chapter 5, one of the, the first benefits that we see is that being born of God, benefits of being born of God, means that we stand with other brothers and sisters. Listen to this. It says, and everyone who loves the Father, this is verse 1, loves whoever has been born of God. That's other brothers and sisters. You're my brother. You're my sister, right? I was about to start singing a song. You're my brother. Anyway. Um, anybody else had that song pop in? Never mind. I'll keep going. So brothers, sisters, we're brothers and sisters. Um, and you're going, wow, Joel's my brother. I'm like, yeah, you might as well, like, you might as well get used to me. You're going to be with me for eternity. Good for you. Right? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Scripture tells us we're all going to be worshiping God together. I think we're all going to have our own version of a happy dance. Every one of you is going to be doing a happy dance in heaven. I'm convinced of it. I can't wait to see some of you try to shake a hip. Because you might break it. I, I just go... So we get to live life together. One of the greatest benefits of being born of God is that, that we, that means we get to stand with other brothers and sisters. It's one of the greatest joys, right? Joyful eagerness to obey. One of the greatest joys I have are the brothers and sisters that I get to serve with here at Chapel Point. I love that I get to explore what God is calling us to and that that together we gain greater courage in stepping forward and making the decisions that we make. Of trying our best to be spiritual leaders that reflect the trueness of what God desires and what his will is for the world. And so to try to emulate Christ as much as we can, right? That not that what we're trying to do if we're born of God? Ephesians 5, 1, to be imitators of God. And so we, we strive to do that, and we get to do it together. That's the power of trying to even live together. And that's why we push small groups. I get in a community with people. People are like, oh, it's a big church. I can't, I don't, if I go to a big church, I don't know everybody. You don't know any fewer people in a big church. You just don't know everybody. And so to think that you have to be known by everybody is a bit arrogant. 
And that's why we do small groups. We had six more small groups start last week. Of people living community together, being brothers and sisters, hopefully holding each other accountable, hopefully praying for one another, hopefully calling each other and saying, hey, how are you growing right now in Christ? How is he transforming your life? Living in joyful expression of being able, being able to be obedient to him. Why? Because we know that being obedient to God is not a burden. There are benefits to it. And one of them is that we get to do this together. We get to do this together. It's a wonderful benefit of being born of God. That we get to care for one another so deeply. Another benefit, second benefit, is that being born of God lets us see the victory to be discovered. The victory to be discovered. And there's a victory to be had. There, you know, so, so often I preach about what it is. Some, some of us just walk around with this victim mentality and how we've always been wrong and how we've always been cheated and how this isn't fair, this isn't fair. And, and, and I get the world's not fair, right? I've got a couple kids. They want everything to be fair. It's just not fair, right? I, like, I'm the guy, take a bag of Fritos and there's three people. Just here, take some. Here, take some. Here, take some. And then you have some people like, hang on. One, two, right? Skittles. I mean, anybody have those kind of kids? Don't raise your hand either. Um, right? We just want to, it's not going to be fair. Like, I get that things are hard. But let me tell you now, what this is reminding you is that if you've been born of God, you're being reminded that you win. Victory is to be had. Victories to be discovered. Being born of God. And he tells us so clearly in this passage. In fact, if you look at this passage in verse, verse 4 and 5, it says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, right? And in that overcoming, I'm going to talk about that in a second, but in that overcoming, there is victory to be had. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Right? We're, we're born again now with a new heart. So we don't think the way we used to think. We don't act the way we used to act. We know that it's by our fruit that people know, right, if we're true believers. That's why my concern today is so much with young people. We, maybe you heard all the different statistics and the different ideas. You know, young people today, they grow up and 80% and leave the church and all these different things. I'm going, well, then do they ever really have faith? Do they, do they actually believe? Well, I love celebrating the fact that we had a young lady committing her life and being baptized this last week. You saw that video earlier, and it's so good and so rich to look at that. But now when, when that young lady is 15, 16 later on, the mentality is not, well, now they're expected to go discover themselves. No, they've already discovered themselves by being a child of God. How corrupt is our sinful nature to think that someone can confess Jesus Christ and then we actually expect them to step into a life of sin at any point after? Shame on us. Shame on us. Because that means we haven't recognized the victory that is to be had in Jesus Christ because we're intentionally stepping back into a life of selfishness, a life of sin, a life of decay, a life that leads to death. 
And maybe we actually encourage it with young people today because it makes us feel better about what we did when we were younger. Shame on us. There's a victory to be had in Jesus Christ. There's not a a life to be lost. There's a life to be gained. And so being born of God, that's to see the victory that that has to be discovered. And we live in that. We, we, We overcome. That's consistent with abiding faith, right? John speaks about it all the time. And so another thing we see in this passage here in 1 John 5, 3 and 4, and verse 5 for that matter, is that we know that being born of, here's one of the benefits of being born of God is that it means that we overcome. Listen to this passage again. It says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not a burden. They're joyful eagerness. I get to obey God, like the God who's perfect, the God who is so good and so kind and gave me his son, Jesus Christ, and left, left me with Holy Spirit so that he can always indwell with me and abide with me so that I can have his direction and have his voice speaking into my heart, my mind, reminding me that I'm his for all of eternity. I get that, and now I get to serve him. This is so good. And then he was reminding me, I have a victory to be had right now. And it says, for everyone who's been born of God, oh, here, check this out, I'm born of God, I'm born of God. And now it says, well, I've overcome the world. I've overcome. Do we actually believe this? And maybe that's the question. Do we actually believe that this is truth? Because this just said this. If you actually have faith in Jesus Christ, that means you, guess what? All this craziness, it may impact you. I get that. And it's hard to absorb sometimes. But you have a victory in Christ and you overcome the world. Right? You enter something differently. You walk through life differently when you already know the outcome. I remember when I interviewed here. Right? Anybody? Who's, who's interviewed for a job before? Anybody? Raise your hand. All right. I remember when I was interviewing here, um, there's several responses I had to that interview process. One, I just kept walking around looking up going, wow, Dutch people. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little guy. I'm like, wow, this is the, they're tall. And, um, and so then they'd introduce me to their eight-year-old, and I'd be like, wow. And, uh, it's like, there's so many different things to the process here, and I scratched my head. I was nervous, and they're like, you know what we decided to do? Um, for the first night that you're here, we're just going to call hundreds of people together to our gym at that time and let them just ask you questions. How cool is that? I'm like, they're tall. And, and like, But you enter something like that differently if you already know the outcome, don't you? You walk through life differently if you already, have, if you already know the outcome. There's nothing this world can take from me because of my love of Jesus Christ. Amen. It changes everything. So being born of God means we overcome, and we overcome because of who we are in Christ, not because of what we can do for him. So hear me say this. 
there's a lot of preachers out there that would tell you, you can overcome if you just wake up in the mirror and you look at yourself and you go, I can do this. That's a bunch of crap. I'm just telling you how it is. It is. I tell my kids that. You can wake up and look in the mirror and go, I can overcome because of what God has done for me through Jesus Christ. You can't do it in your strength. You can't do it in your might. It's because of the power of God conquering death, kicking death in the teeth through His Son, Jesus Christ, that you can wake up and go, I can overcome. I have victory to be discovered. You see the difference, yes? Just say yes, because I'll start over at the very beginning. My wife and I remember we got engaged 20 years ago. We got to get this, guys. We don't overcome because of what we can do. We overcome because of what God has already done for us. So I want to hit very quickly what we overcome. I'm going to talk about two things. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. I'm going to talk, and there's going to be a lot of stuff up here on the screen. There's already one of them. That's okay. Leave it there. I'm going to talk about what we overcome, and then I'm going to talk about how we overcome it according to Scripture and just Scripture. What do we overcome, and how do we overcome it? So get ready to write, because you're going to claim, you're, you're, you're going to claim some victory today in the name of Jesus Christ. Here's what we overcome. The wicked one. 1 John 2, 13 and 14 tells us, I read it earlier in the service, that we overcome the evil one is another one. It depends on what translation you're reading. We can overcome the evil one, the wicked one that's speaking to our ears. No, go do this, go do this. Just search for self. You can do this for yourself. No, you can overcome that voice. You can overcome the wicked one. 1 John 4, 4, we can overcome our spiritual enemies. You need to know that the spiritual enemies are a real thing. Right? It's a spiritual world. Everything is spiritual, and there's spiritual enemies. And they just want you to keep taking that one small step towards Satan, one small step towards self, right? And you can overcome the spiritual enemies. Some of you are being used as a spiritual enemy, speaking lies into somebody else. Get out of the way. It tells us in Revelation 12, and I'm mentioning this because... It's the same author. God used the same man to write those words. Revelation 12 tells us that we can overcome false accusations. I'm just used to it. People will say, oh, Joel thinks, or Joel, I'm like, come talk to me. Don't speak about me. Come talk to me, and I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Amen? I can overcome false accusations. I'm good with it. The shoulders of my God are more than big enough to take anything you got to hurl at. We can overcome sin. It tells us overcome sin. We can overcome the sin that can hold us in captivity. It tells us that according to 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, just read it for us, we overcome the world, the, 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 the entire world that is saying, no, it's all about you. We can overcome all of it. And to get even more personal, Overcoming that sin, overcoming those lies, overcoming those, those false accusations, overcoming the spiritual enemies means that you can overcome the sin of pornography that is crippling your marriage. Because you actually think fulfillment is there. If there were fulfillment there, you wouldn't have to keep running back to it. 
What else can you overcome? You can overcome the fear of failing according to other people. What else can you overcome? You can overcome the fear of rejection, what others are going to say, what others are going to think about you, because you already know what God thinks about you. You can overcome insecurities. You can overcome a self-imposed identity. That you're afraid to be seen, and yet God says, when I look at you, I see nothing but amazing. When you've been born of me and you admit and confess that I'm your God. Those are things that you can overcome. How do we overcome? I'm going to run through this very quickly. And it's going to be really quick. Otherwise, they have to go to Baldwin and tell people just to park on the street. I'm going to go real fast. I hope you're ready to write this down. Here's how we overcome. One, it tells us that we overcome by having a belief, a faith. It tells us this. A belief, a faith. He says this over and over. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, I just read it. Also in 1 John 5, 5, he says it again in 1 John 5, 13. We overcome by our belief, by our faith, that we so trust in him. In fact, another way to think about that is the confessing, right? He tells us in chapter 4 that one of the ways we know who to listen to, right, is by who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord. So we confess, we have faith. We say, we, we want people to know, Jesus is my Lord. Will you say that? You confess it. You call it out because you trust him. That's how we overcome. We overcome by obeying his commandments. 1 John 2, 3, and 4 mention that very thing. 1 John 3, 24. I also read it today. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. One of the ways we overcome is we see his commandments and we are eager, joyful eagerness to obey them. It's not a burden. It's a joy to be able to obey the creator of the universe. And then that, that desire to obey his commandments, it means that one of the ways we overcome, one of the ways that this happens is that we strive not to sin. Can, can, let me just real quick tell you the difference. It talks about striving not to sin. So many of us think, if I can just not sin. We need to, we need to not sin. Hear me say that. But what we need to do is have that joyful eagerness of actually obeying. There's a difference, right? I don't, living life going, I don't want to mess up is very different than going, man, what do I get to do for God next? How do we overcome? We walk as Christ walked, 1 John 2, 5, and 6. We walk the way he walked. We know that John 8, 12, he's the light of the world. We walk by his light. As I said before, Ephesians 5, 1, we're to imitate him. We walk as Christ walked. And then finally, how do we overcome? We love others as Christ has loved, not as we think they deserve to be loved. Oh. I, I had some of you until then. We're to love others as Christ has loved us. It's John 13, 34, and 35. Can we commit to no longer treat people as we think they deserve to be treated? Because if we're treated the way we deserve to be treated, my friends, 
just hear me say, guys, we don't overcome. We don't overcome by simply stating that we can overcome. Why? Because it's not in your power. 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 We overcome because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has already done for us. Right? Here it is. It'll pop up on the screen. Right now. We don't overcome by simply stating that we can overcome. Why? Because it's not your power. It's not your power. It's not your power. You overcome because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has already done for you. Jesus has done everything for you. So this is how I'd like us to conclude today. I want you all just to think of one thing that you know because of sin, because of what someone else has spoken into your life, what's the one thing that you know you need to overcome? That you need to surrender to God. You can't do it, but you need to overcome it by surrendering to God and going, God, I'm going to give you the lies about what my marriage can be. I'm going to give you that. My marriage can be redeemed. You're going to surrender that to Jesus. Not because you can make it happen, but God can. It's in his power, not your power. Hear me say that. Or maybe you need to overcome a lie that's been spoken to you by a friend or a lie that you can't actually speak about Jesus. There is nothing of this world that can silence me in speaking about my God. Nothing. So this is what I'd like to invite you to do. As you think about that one thing that you need to surrender to God, to overcome... I know you all have it because there's nobody in this room who's just that good. I'm sorry, you're not. There's Jesus has not returned yet. As you think of that one thing, I want you just to stand up where you are. We're starting that now. And say, God, it's yours. Let them have it. There's a victory to be discovered, and we get to obey the King of Kings. God, I come before you. I give you thanks for what you are doing. I give you thanks that we get to call upon your name. I give you thanks that that we all know that it is in your power, not our own, that we can overcome. There is a victory to be discovered. There is a victory to be discovered. There is a victory to be discovered. I pray that every single man and woman, boy and girl in this place today would know that victory in the name of Jesus Christ, that we would stand fully with who you are, that we would call out that very victory of knowing, of knowing that it is a pure joy to be able to serve you it is not a burden it's something that we get to do not that we have to do and so we call upon your name oh jesus as we worship